talking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? What how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. The customer experience is making sure that we've given them a quality product, that we've given it to them on time, and we're tied in to the people at the fulfillment center level day in and day out. That's Zach Kissel, VP of Global E-Fulfillment at Intertape Polymer Group, a packaging and product systems company. Zach is a global business executive with 20 years experience across multiple functions, including sales, supply chain, and operations. On today's episode, Zach discusses anticipating customers' needs in times of uncertainty, how he bundles products to create cost savings, and why he's focusing on more regional manufacturing. Zach offers some great insights in all things e-fulfillment, packaging, and how supply chain can be fun. He's been a friend of mine for a while now, and you're going to love his views on the supply chain industry. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Sword, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. All right, welcome to another edition of Supply Chain Therapy. Here today with a very special guest, Zach Kissel, VP of Global E-Fulfillment at Tate Polymer Group. Zach, thanks so much for joining. How are you? I'm great, Alex, and thanks for having me. It's almost of football course. season. We're almost Go there. Balls. We're almost there. <laughs> we, I'm sure we will get into uh, a little bit of Georgia-Tennessee uh, talk here because uh, we go way back on that topic. But, um, you know, let, let's dive right in and, and get started. Tell us a little bit about your role with Intertape Polymer Group and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so our e-fulfillment channel is one of our fastest-growing sales channels in the company. Obviously, we sell to the uh, the fulfillment businesses out there, you know, the large e-commerce companies that that you and I are buying online from. And uh, that business is uh, essentially uh, a lot of packaging products that we provide. You know, we're a regional manufacturer. We make water-activated tape, air pillows, void fill. Uh, We make the dispensers. We have a field service team. So we've kind of got the the whole bundle to provide to our customers in that that segment. And we have an end-to-end supply chain to to get it to them. Yeah. And I I always joke, it's like uh, the IPG product is the, the product that everyone has probably experienced and they never know where it's coming from. Oh, definitely. Yeah. People are like, what's what's Intertape Polymer Group? And I'm like, well, easiest way to describe it is if you ever get a package in the mail, the tape on the box and the air pillow inside of the box is probably ours. They're like, oh yeah, I like popping those things. <laughs> my, I think my cat likes popping them too, but um, you know, we, we recycle over here. So tell me a little bit about the supply chain as you got into it. You know, Where does it kind of start for you guys? You you do have a regional setup and, and kind of walk me through what your your overall supply chain layout looks like? Yeah, so we're a, we're a manufacturer first and foremost. So we have plants all over the world. You know, our supply chain plans end to end. And for us, end to end means from uh, the plant all the way to the final mile delivery to the customer. You know, so we get a we get a forecast from the customer. We take that backwards into our production planning plan. Uh, we put that together. We have a replenishment plan to make sure that our warehouses have the right level of inventory in them. And uh, thank you to Stored for providing a lot of that warehouse uh, service for us. <laughs> of course, of course. And uh, for th- for those listening, Zach and I do go way back. Uh, responded to a, a cold call, cold email years ago, and and we got our start in a partnership together. But um, you know, they've been a great partnership so far, and, and continued growth uh, coming forth. Tell me a little bit about about your role, right? When we first started talking, you were in, uh, the director of e-commerce, promoted to VP of, of global e-fulfillment. How has that transitioned? And- and what are you in charge of on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, good question. So, you know, before I came to IPG, I was uh, I was with Newell Brands. So you're probably familiar with them. They make Sharpies and uh, Expo dry erase markers and all kinds of consumer products. And came down to Sarasota um, 
through a recruiter, actually. The manager that recruited me here actually worked for Newell in the writing division and understood a lot of the things that, that I was working on. Um, and he brought me in and, uh, you know, e-fulfillment was something that I was not familiar with, <laughs> but I was really, I love supply chain. I love manufacturing and, and it was a great fit because there's a high level of urgency required. Um, you have to take action very quickly. Um, and you've always got to be on your game and be willing to pivot, you know, in, in a different direction. And so, you know, coming here and being part of the uh, supply chain team, we had a ton of new challenges in front of us. The business was growing very rapidly. And then obviously, uh, you know, when I was promoted, COVID hit probably three months after I took over the responsibility for sales and supply chain. And then business exploded beyond that. And so there were a ton of supply chain related issues that we had to work with uh, to ensure that our customers, you know, stayed in supply and were able to keep shipping product to, to consumers. And I, I think, you know, what's interesting about that is is the pivot mentality, right? I think a lot of people that aren't familiar with the supply chain industry think of it as, okay, this is the process that gets here, goes from point A, point B, you know, maybe a couple stops in between, but it's all a chain reaction. The biggest misconception is that that pivoting that and different strategies or backup strategies that you have to have. So kind of walk us through your supply chain strategy maybe pre-pandemic and then right when the pandemic hit and you guys are seeing a, a, a burst of growth since the pandemic hit you know it's the business has exploded globally mm-hmm. so we've had to replicate the model that we put together in the u.s and we've had to put that together in europe and asia and even in south america and the expectations aren't any different you know we have to have uh, stock there we have to be able to manage uh, multiple you know different print campaigns on our tapes so that you know the customers have a relevant marketing message and we can't be left with too much so there's a ton of planning that goes back to the plant level you know we're working with a lot of different people on the customer side we've been exposed to a lot of new people since the pandemic started mm-hmm. um, because you know there's just a different level of interest with uh, with sales on e-commerce products versus brick and mortar in the last two years right so how do you define success in your organization is it is it growth what sort of metrics are you looking at to you know, week in, week out, month in, month out, quarter over quarter. What are you looking at to, to improve on? The biggest measure for me for success is when a customer asks me to do something else for them. Yeah. Because that mean that means that we're not only talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. We've done a really good job of providing them with whatever consumable or or widget that they asked us for. We're giving it to them on time. We're giving it to them at a fair price. Um, we have people that are nice to them on the phone and that respond to emails and we're doing all the little things right. And then they come back and say, Hey, you know, you've been a good supplier on this or that. Can you also supply this? It may not even be something that we even have in our, in our bundle at that point. And then the answer to that is like, yeah, let me go take a look and see what I can do there. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I never say no to begin with. (laughs) You always just try and find a solution for sure. Um, I guess the next question, kind of leading a little bit into this, but in your world, right, and being an e-com fulfillment supplier, right, thinking about the packaging division and, you know, focused on that, obviously, what's important to your customers, their customer experience, right? So how, how do you approach with your team that experience? Because it's not just your customer that's purchasing directly from you. It's actually the, the consumer that's getting that packaging at the doorstep and it's protecting whatever item they ordered online and to getting to the doorstep, right? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our big customers have pledged to the consumers certain things. If you order today, we're going to have it delivered to you in, you know, two days or three days or the shipping is free or, you know, there's a number of different kind of things that they're looking at. For me, my goal is to make sure that 
the people that we're supplying have everything that they need in stock. And that, that can mean if there's a demand spike that we've already got them covered. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want you, if you've ordered a new pair of headphones, I don't want you to have to wait one extra day because the fulfillment center runs out of product. Right. So for us, the, cust- the customer experience is making sure that that we've given them a quality product, that we've given it to them on time, and we're tied in to their uh, to the people at the fulfillment center level day in and day out. We communicate with every individual fulfillment center, not just the purchasing team or an engineering or operations team. We're talking to people at the local level, and we're even a lot of times we're helping them find product that they don't even know where it is on the floor. Sometimes we'll go out of our way to make sure that they have what they need, and that can mean on a Friday night at eight o'clock. I'm out to dinner with my family and I get a phone call and and the customer can't find something. I could call five people on my team and they'd all answer their phone in in 10 seconds and we'd be all over it. It's just a, it's just a different level of urgency and everybody's happy to provide that level of service. And I think it it really speaks on not only your customer experience, but that end consumer's experience, right? The same example you gave, if I order new headphones and they can't ship it out because, oh, the the fulfillment center I ordered from is out of tape or out of a a packing pillow, right? I'm going to go back to your customer and say, where are my headphones? But you know, with you guys having that sense of urgency and that hands-on approach, we're going to do everything we can, even if it's just one package that has to get out. We're going to do everything we can, right? Absolutely. Cloud supply chain combines the speed and flexibility of the cloud with the physical infrastructure required to compete. Want to learn more? Download our ebook, Cloud Supply Chain for Dummies. I mean, savvy brands. And find out for yourself. Go to store.link slash dummies to get a copy. Now, back to the episode. Well, let's get into the next segment, talking about challenges. Houston, we have a problem. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in in sort of your B2B model, right? And, and talking about, you know, your customers are more businesses. You're not really shipping directly to the consumer, not shipping directly to my doorstep. You are indirectly. But, you know, what are three challenges that your company is facing um, today and, and how are you taking those on? Yeah, I'd say the three big ones right now are automation, raw materials and freight cost. And in no real order, the uh, the COVID pandemic has created a ton of supply chain disruptions. Mm-hmm. And it's created you know, tightness on a lot of raw materials that are purchased. For our business and for anybody else that's making anything, they're having challenges finding, sourcing, buying raw materials. And you know, luckily, we, we've got scale. Uh, we're a decently sized company and we're able to go out and we've got you know, secondary and tertiary suppliers on all of our main commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've got people all over the world that are, that are great at finding these things for us. While it has been a problem, it hasn't affected our business. Um, on the freight cost side, you know, as prices on diesel have gone up two, three, four dollars a gallon over the past several months, it's definitely impacting uh, the company. It's making it more right. difficult to maintain cost competition, you know. But it, on top of that, there's a driver shortage out there. Right. You know, it's been, uh, I think you have to be 21 years old to get a CDL. And, you know, that gap between 18 and 21, there's just not a lot of people that are finding that they want to go into truck driving. It's what's been difficult to have that the right number of drivers out there. And that just that continues to drive up the price. The third thing, though, is on automation. Um, and when I say automation, you know, there's a lot of a lot of interesting concepts out there in fulfillment. Uh, there's box on demand. There's um, automated packaging machines that are building packages around the items 
And those obviously compete directly with with what we're providing. Uh, but at the same time, we've, we're building all that same capability internally mm-hmm. so that we use the consumables that we manufacture within those solutions. And that's really, that's really the best way for us to get around that. Okay. We're going to have to take a step back really quick because I don't think a listener, the average listener really understands packaging and, and what that automation on the packaging side means. So in layman's terms, Zach, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you take a big piece of cardboard, and when I mean big, I mean like six feet wide uh-huh. and it's, let's say it's 200 feet long and it's folded up like an accordion, that cardboard can feed into a machine that can slice it and dice it and build it right around a laptop and it makes a box and it glues the box it glues the box together it slaps a shipping label on it and it spits it out so there's no need for our water activated tape or for an air pillow or a tape dispenser so we're trying to develop equipment that can do kind of the same thing mm-hmm. but we'll implement some of our void fill and packaging solutions as consumables within that equipment. Does that make sense? That, that's perfect. And I think, you know, I am newer to the, the kind of packaging realm, right? Like I'd never really paid attention to it until more recently. And I'm like, huh, I wonder how this box, how many folds does it take inside the fulfillment center to get this box erected? And then, you know, how much time is that taking? And all that comes down in my world, right? As a 3PL comes down into the cost that I'm passing on to the customer because every single box fold is taking up someone's time or it's taking up automation, right? And you're going to have fixed capital to, to install automation for boxy records in, inside your own building. And I think when you get into really complex custom packaging is where it's it's most fun um, because you look at the different folds and how the product's actually coming. And, you know, as a consumer, you don't really, you're so excited to get that. You kind of open the box and it's like, oh, my product's here. You're not really looking at what went into it, but more so we're seeing, uh, especially on the e-commerce side with a lot of our e-com shippers, that custom box experience or that kidding experience of that unboxing, right? And and obviously, I think a, a number of, whether it be influencers or, or YouTubers, you know, that unboxing experience was so important and, you know, they helped build their brand from that experience. Um, but it's definitely something that I just think packaging in itself might not be that exciting. But if you really get into the weeds of it and you become this like supply chain nerd, like you and I sort of are, that you really start getting excited about automation and, and different, you know, new um, machines that are coming out and new ways to do things. So thank you for uh, helping explain that. Yeah, for sure. Next uh, sort of question, I, I'm curious, you know, obviously there's a sense of urgency on, on everything that we do in supply chain, right? And you know, everything we want to go perfectly, it almost never does. There's always a hiccup somewhere. How has your work impacted the bottom line at IPG and, and specifically, you know, driven business outcomes? Well, we've been able to bundle products. You know, we've made acquisitions over the last several years mm-hmm. where we add we add a piece. You know, we're adding this piece, we're adding that piece. And for us, the pieces are products, right? We, we've been missing this product from our bundle. And when we add a new product to the bundle, um, invariably, you've got now you've got two companies that are selling two different products. So from a customer perspective, it takes two POs to get product A and product B. So by utilizing, you know, stored warehousing, we've been able to uh, do a network analysis and put warehouses where, where we most need them to service our customers. And we're taking product A and product B from our manufacturing sites and we're putting both of them into that warehouse network. So now we're able to leverage more full truckload shipments because we're able to bundle multiple products together. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and we share, we share some of that cost savings with the customer. 
So it's beneficial to us. It's beneficial to you as stored. And it's beneficial to you know our customer as well. By sharing the cost savings, you're encouraging them to purchase by the full truckload, which is easier than sending seven LTL shipments from all over the country, right? Absolutely. And we've we've sold the customers on that. We've shown yeah. them the power of, of the bundle and the power of shipping more than one product together. And we've come up with all sorts of programs on how to do that. You know, so customers are going to look at it like how much real estate is it going to take uh, for me to unload a full truckload of, of these consumables onto my floor? Mm-hmm. And we look at it and say, OK, well, if you if we can put three, four products together, you, it's a week's worth of inventory and we can drop it off at this location. Um, we've even come up with programs where for multi-stops. So right. I pick up a truckload from the warehouse and I stop at two or three locations and and empty it that way. And it's that's been a great way for us to, to share and the cost, you know, the cost savings as well. Of course. So moving on to our, our next segment, uh, the venting couch. So talk, vent. Come on, vent. Go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. Why don't you vent? Vent your frustrations. We have all had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com and learn more. So what is the craziest story from your career that you just want to vent about with us today? A couple of years ago, we were in the middle of an RFP uh, for some business and we wanted, it it was kind of a retaining business, right? We wanted to retain (laughs) what we already had. And unfortunately, uh, it didn't go our way, right? We lost the major share. We, we, We were given a minority share. Um, this was probably October-ish timing. Right. Um, so we started de-inventorying the customer. You know, we, we didn't want them, we didn't want to have too much of our product available at the time. Um, so we started de-inventorying and over the next couple of months, you know, we're licking our wounds, we're pivoting and trying to, you know, uh, open that capacity up for other customers. Things were going well, it was picking back up. And then I get a phone call from the uh, customer that said, hey, uh, the supplier we gave the majority share to, they're having problems. We're not right. going to be able to. We're not going to be able to give it to them. Can you guys help us? I said, sure. What do you, you know? What are you thinking? Well, we want you to turn the spigot all the way back on, <laughs> and we need to be right back at the right back at the old level, and then some by January first. So this is the first week in December when I got the phone call. It's not uh, October fifteenth or anything like that. So we're in the middle of our peak season. Our plants right. are running twenty four seven, and I have to figure out how I'm going to ship. Uh, 40 or 50 containers of product to Europe in the course of three weeks. And so we had plants on the phone. We had, you know, ocean freighters, uh, you know, forwarders for containers. We had custom clearance people on the other end. I mean, it was just lock, stock and barrel madness for about a month. Once we got to February of the next year, though, the the waters had calmed. Uh, we, We had taken care of it. We supplied them everything that they needed and then some, and we were good to go. And I think looking back on that, it shows the strength that we have as a supply chain. And, you know, we did it with all different parts of our organization. So it's pretty cool. But how do you, I mean, where do you start? I think you talked about it a little bit. It's about the people that you hire and being willing to solve problems, right? Yeah, our team is full of A players, you know, and, and it takes a lot of balance to be able to handle a lot of A players. Everybody everybody wants to get ahead. Everybody has a lot of ambition. Um, and you just have to continually challenge those people on that team to be able to keep growing like that. I honestly, I look at uh, what Sean has created, you know, with stored, and I see a lot of the same kind of things going on with your company. As long as everything's growing fast and there's a lot of new things going on, everybody's going to be really satisfied and happy. Yeah. So I'm just hoping that, you know, this 
this goes on for a long time uh, because I, it will create another problem if it ever slows down. That's right. That's right. You got to have the people, you, keep them entertained, give them the work to do and, and hard problems to solve, right? I mean, people, and then I think the other thing about from a, a leadership thing is you got to give them a pat on the back, right? It, and acknowledge them and call them out company wide and say, hey, this person faced a really tough problem and, and they executed to their fullest ability and knocked it out of the park, right? Yeah, absolutely. And luckily we have a really open door policy here with our leadership team. Mm-hmm. And there's there's definitely a lot of cheerleading going on. <laughs> Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. All right, moving on to uh, our second to last segment here with Zach Kissel from IPG uh, talking about the future. So obviously we, we faced a lot of lessons learned in the past two and a half so years during a pandemic that we didn't really know was coming. What lessons have you learned over that time span and, and what are you implementing in the future? Yeah, the biggest lesson I think is that there's going to be a lot of unforeseen problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at you look at what's happened in the last couple of years. Nobody knew COVID was coming. Um, nobody knew, you know, that the port of Long Beach was going to be delayed, you know, five, six, eight, ten weeks or that all of Shanghai was going to be shut down. Right. Um, you know, there's just thing after thing after thing. You know, there's been hurricanes. There's been all sorts of natural disasters and just crazy stuff that happens. And it's it just seems like it's on an exponential curve at this point. And so you just got to expect the unexpected. At the same time, don't sacrifice service. Don't make excuses. You know, just you got to keep plodding along. The best companies out there are making it happen. Um, you know, you can you can read in the newspapers about the good ones that are out there right. and they seem to find a way to continue to innovate and to continue to stay ahead. So we just got to keep innovating. Can't be afraid to change. Don't rest on our laurels. You know, challenge the status quo, all those things. Where do you see e-commerce going? Um, obviously, we had explosive growth uh, 2020, 2021. We've kind of settled down a little bit here in 2022. We'll see what you know Q3 and Q4 look like here. But where do you see e-commerce growth going? I, I don't think it'll tick up as much as we saw in 2020 or 2021. But in, interested from your point of view, where, where do you think it's going? I think we're in a little bit of a flat spot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I look out five or 10 years, I think we're going to see double-digit growth each, you know, annually um, during that time. In 2020 or 2019, I think 13% of all retail sales uh, were e-commerce. Right. And then in and then in 2020, 2021, when things were really kind of in full bloom, it got up to the higher teens, 18, 19, 20%. If you look out over the next 10 years, I think we're going to see it. We're going to see another 10 point shift in market change to where it's kind of closer to that 30% number. Hmm. And you see that you see that now in Europe. It's moving more rapidly there than it is here. The other piece of it is that the biggest part of our demographic right now are baby boomers. Right. And as they continue to age, uh, many of them are using their smart devices to order online. But there's a huge uh, you know flux of people between that 18 and 35 demographic that are all online, all purchasing online. You know that's that's their life. They, they're on social media. Um, they've got their whole existence is Uber Eats, uh, Instacart, you know, Amazon, you know, whatever they want to use to order things. And that's, that's that's how they get everything to their door. That's right. What are you doing to prepare for, for kind of that influx in e-commerce? What are you doing for the next call it two to three years and, and how are you planning ahead? Yeah. If you look at, uh, the things that have happened to customers in the last couple of years, a lot of it is related to delays in ocean freight 
you know, from having sourcing that comes outside of whatever country that you're operating in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's going to be really important to have a regional manufacturing uh, viewpoint. You know, if you can limit the amount that's coming across the ocean um, for any raw material or finished good, you're going to be in a much better position. Um, and sustainability is also becoming, you know, more and more critical. And, you know, if you think about carbon footprint in general, um, there's a lot more carbon footprint by getting something across the ocean than there is making it, you know, making it in Atlanta and shipping it to, to Athens. You know, it's, it's not that far to go versus, mm-hmm. you know, bringing it in from six, 8,000 miles away. So there's going to be a lot more focus on, on regional manufacturing, ensuring, you know, serving things more at a local level, I think. Yeah, I, I think I would certainly agree with that, especially on products that we can actually make here. How about that? Um, exactly. You know, and, and things, you know, getting that closer to the customer and, and having that, you know, more on, I'm not going to say on demand manufacturing, but near on demand um, is going to be more and more important. So I guess, you know, what predictions do you have for the near future next two years? Um, I think when I say this, throw out some crazy ideas. We're not going to old takes expose you and, and, you know, call you back in, in 2024 and say, Zach, you were so wrong. But I think it's, you know, in, insightful for our listeners to hear and, and understand what's going on. I think we're going to see modest growth. You know, I think there's a, there is a market correction going on right now. I think it's a little unfair to lump everything into that market correction. I still think you're going to see things that are supply chain dependent grow over the next few years. I think you're going to see e-commerce continue to grow. Um, you know, COVID's not going away. Everybody's still, you know, getting sick. I think it's kind of changed the whole way we do things. I don't right. think we're going to go back to the old way. And I think there's just going to be a, a higher dependence on e-commerce in the future, you know, regardless of what the growth level is. But uh, I would continue to invest in it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, wrapping up with our, our last segment here, some quick hitters. Last thing you bought online, Zach. So I'm training for the Olympics right now, um, uh, and I just bought a I just bought a ping pong table. <laughs> <laughs> we have one here in the office. You'll have to uh, come up next time you're in nice. Atlanta, and, and we'll. Well, uh, yeah, mine's not we'll here yet. Out. I just ordered it like two days ago. But what was uh, the lead time on that? Three weeks. Three weeks sounds about right. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Oversized, bulky, <laughs> good stuff. All right, if you didn't work in supply chain, what would you be doing? Top Gun pilot. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, saw it last weekend. Pretty epic. Pretty epic. I have not. I have not seen it. I think I'll wait for it to uh, to come out uh, streaming. Uh-huh. You know, talking <laughs> about that eighteen to thirty five demographic again. All right. How uh-huh. happy were you for me when the Georgia Bulldogs finally won the national championship this year? Uh, elated. <laughs> it was it was the best feeling I've had in years. <laughs> Piggyback off of that, what is your prediction for the Tennessee football record for the 2022-2023 season? Nine victories. So what are we looking at? Nine and three? Nine and four. Nine, nine and, three, four. Nine and four. Maybe a little bowl yeah. victory? All right. Bowl yeah. eligible. Okay. Favorite hobby outside of work? Uh, fishing. What kind of fishing? Doesn't matter. Doesn't as long as matter. I got a pole in my I forgot a pole in my hand and I'm out there doing it, I'm happy. <laughs> and and they're relaxing. biting, hopefully. All right, all right. All right. Top three dream dinner party guests. Peyton Manning, Will Ferrell, Axel Rose. <laughs> Peyton Manning and Will Ferrell would be quite the treat. All right, last question, wrapping up here with uh, Zach Kissel. If folks want to reach you, what's the best way to get in touch? Look me up on LinkedIn. That's right. And folks, he does respond. He's not going to like that I say this, but he does respond. So um, 
for some reason, especially uh, to a cold email. But we appreciate it, Zach. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today on Supply Chain Therapy. And, and thanks for all your friendship over the past couple of years. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alex. Appreciate it. Of course. Know anyone who needs Stored's help? We have a new referral program where you could earn $5,000. Go to stored.link slash referral to submit and learn more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to store.com to learn more.